You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Um, Got your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 1. And if you got your notebooks and pens, get them out. Um, We are are teaching tonight. I'm going to try to get through this. So I've got 31 minutes. going to be fast. (laughs) Paul said, get going. (laughs) Tonight, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20, where Paul is going to focus on the topic of the supremacy of Christ. Now, Colossians was written written to a small church in Colossae that that Paul actually never, we don't have record of him going to. Um, And he is believed to have written this around 60 AD when he was in prison in Rome, the same time that he penned Ephesians and Philemon. Um, it, uh, Colossae was, it would have been a, a much smaller town than Ephesus and it would have been about, about a three days journey away and so the reason there was even a church there is because people had traveled from Colossae because they heard about the revival happening in Ephesus to hear Paul preach and then they were going back and sharing the gospel so now they had a church um, and everything was going great at this church for a while um, but false teachers had be- began to come in and um, these false teachers weren't really uh, changing the truth up a whole lot, they would just begin to change different little things and begin to mix Christianity with different religions and, and, uh, and, and some, some different things that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, but I do want to start off by this saying, like uh, I think Paul said this last week, like it's like this letter was written for us today. You know, this is still just as relevant to us today as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it to Colossians. And I, I want you to know one of the greatest tricks the enemy, the devil, plays on us is just to twist truth a little bit he's trying to just twist it just a little bit and that's why verse by verse studies like this are so important that's why reading your bible over and over again is so crucial we have to know this word we have to so know this word that it becomes easy to recognize false teaching you don't have to be an expert in false teaching you just need to be an expert in what you believe about jesus We have to know the person of Jesus so we don't fall prey to what Paul will call in the next chapter, chapter 2, high-sounding nonsense. We need to be experts in our own faith, our own Christian doctrine. We need to be obsessed with knowing who Jesus is, what he said, and the way that he lived. Now, Paul speaks in Colossians. He speaks more in Colossians on the importance of Christ than he does in his other letters. He focuses more on Jesus in the letter of Colossians than he does in any of his other letters because the false teachings that were coming into the church was that Jesus was less than God, that Jesus was, or, or that he, he, didn't, he wasn't a deity, that he wasn't all man and all God. Um, even some teaching like that Jesus was a man and then like a spirit kind of like possessed him and then like left him on the cross like a bunch of weird stuff was coming in and even that he was less than some angels and maybe even greater than other angels but definitely not equal with God and there, there was also some false teaching coming in where they were uh, people were saying that, that there were a certain group of people that had like special revelation they had like special knowledge that the rest of you didn't have access to but just this particular group had access to there were new teachings in addition to what people had heard about Christ or being taught about Christ, even from Paul's letters. And, and these kind of things even happen today. Um, I'm all for revelation. I'm all for going deep into scripture and mining out deep, rich, powerful truths. But we got to make sure that those truths are actually the word of God. 
Revelation is great, but Scripture is the plumb line. It will not contradict Scripture. The devil would, and the devil would love for you to chase some special, special revelation or some new book or some conference or some something rather than keeping your nose in the word. Be leery of a man or a woman who is trying to make a dime off of you because, because they have a special new revelation. Be leery if you go to a conference and they don't open the word of God. Be leery if you listen to a teaching that does not exalt the name of Jesus. <laughs> Be careful because it slips in like leaven and we quickly can become deceived. <laughs> the key to revelation, the key to unlocking the secrets that Paul even talks about in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, these secrets of the kingdom, those things are found in the Bible. Those things are found in your prayer closet. We're called to test the spirits. And if it doesn't glorify Jesus, if it questions his supremacy and authority, if it questions his deity, it's demonic. It is not from God. <clears throat> and so in this, and, and, and Paul also saw there was a mixing of Christianity with other religions and even with Judaism, with going back to obeying the law that they had been called, out on, called away from. So, so Paul brings Christ to the focal point. <clears throat> Paul is seeking to correct them by providing a better understanding of who Christ was. And this is still so important for us today. We have to know, be easy, we have to easily spot counterfeits because even the devil presents himself as an angel of light. <clears throat> Theology matters. I know that's a word that some people don't like or some people, you know, that's just a or whatever, but it, it's just your study of God. But what you believe about God matters. Christology, what you believe about Jesus, it matters. It matters big time. A theologian by the name of Bishop Lightfoot said the doctrine of the person of Christ in Colossians is stated with greater precision and fullness than in any other of St. Paul's epistles, which isn't really awesome. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Paul is stressing tonight as we read this that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. It's not a mixture of anything else. It's just him. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who sustains us. It's not following the law. It's not doing good works. It's not rituals and festivals. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It's not about what we do. It's about what he did. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We can do nothing except by his grace and his strength. So let's read. Verses 13 and 14 is where we're going to start. It says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Wow. And they want me to get through seven verses tonight, or eight verses, and those two right there are just a lot to unpack. But really, this is the gospel condensed into two verses. This right here is the simple gospel. Probably the most concise way that we can word it, that we were rescued from the kingdom, kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his son. And Jesus was the one that made that happen. He purchased our freedom. He forgave our sins. The gospel is the good news stating that we not only have been rescued from something, but we've been rescued for something. You weren't just rescued from the kingdom of darkness, but you were rescued for the kingdom of Jesus. <clears throat> now, 
it was important that Paul stated this because the Colossians were, were, were falling into, falling prey to what, what was called as Gnosticism, where people took, they, they, they act like the physical doesn't matter at all, and it's all these spiritual things. And they were, they were really afraid of the demonic. They were really afraid of Satan. They were really afraid of the enemy. Christians fall into this. We are afraid of the demonic. We are afraid of darkness. We are afraid of the enemy. I want you to know tonight, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. He's defeated. He's defeated. You're no longer in his kingdom. He's been so, this is the new Exodus. He's been so defeated just like the Pharaoh from Exodus was defeated. When the Israelites got across the Red Sea and the sea came crashing down on Pharaoh and his army, the Israelites no longer had to fear Pharaoh. You no longer have to fear Satan in that same way. He has been defeated. We have been pulled out of his kingdom. In the next chapter, Colossians 2.15 says, In this way, Jesus, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The kingdom of darkness that we were enslaved to, the kingdom of darkness that we actually took up arms with, we actually took up ranks with. Romans says that we were enemies of God. (laughs) And Jesus still came to save us. We were in this kingdom and we were being reigned and ruled by darkness, by Satan, and we were rescued and transferred into the kingdom of God. We no longer have to obey the enemy. We no longer have to succumb to his temptations. We have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome everything the enemy throws at us. We have been transferred or conveyed from one empire that has been conquered into another empire that is now reigning and ruling. Verse four, uh, the first part of verse 14 says that our freedom was purchased War costs something. And Jesus went to war for our souls. And he gave, <laughs> he gave, the, or he paid the highest price. His very life, he paid the highest price. He used his own blood to defeat the empire, to defeat this kingdom. And I want you to know tonight, his blood is still the most powerful thing in the universe. The blood of Jesus is still the most powerful thing in the universe. That's why when we pray, we plead the blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus over our families, over our homes, over our schools, over our cities, over our nations. What the blood of Jesus is, the blood of Jesus is the receipt. It is the paid ransom. And so when the enemy thinks that your city is lost, that your child is lost, that your family is lost, that your marriage is lost, that your body is lost, you just plead the blood. Because what it does is it tells darkness that you have no reign and no rule here. Jesus has already won this. We've got to remember that we are not battling and fighting for victory. We are battling and fighting from victory. We're just telling the the enemy, hey man, that's no longer yours. You can't have that. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Pray until you see it. Don't plead it one time and then give up. You continue to plead the blood of Jesus right now and I want to even say just parents who have kids right now even in the home plead the blood of Jesus begin to prophesy things over them that the enemy cannot have them that 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 your kids because you are in covenant with God your household is in covenant with God that's a good point Josh thank you for that okay (laughs) come on the blood of the lamb that they painted over the doorposts covered the whole family plead the blood of Jesus over your family the enemy no longer has claim over us So the purchase for our freedom and for the forgiveness of our sins, forgiveness means sent away, that everything that was keeping us from God has been sent away. 
couple verses, Ephesians 1, 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Hebrews 9, 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So he shed his blood so that we could be washed white as snow. We didn't have to shed our own blood. He shed his blood so that we could be washed white as snow. And it's, Paul's clearly saying here, it's just Jesus. It's just his blood. It's not his blood and obeying the law. It's just Jesus. Paul is stressing that here. Now we're going to move into verses 15 through 17. That Paul is switching gears here. He's, he, he's quoting maybe something that he wrote or somebody else wrote. They believe maybe this was like a hymn that they sung in worship or there was, this was some kind of poem. But even if you'll notice in the way that it's written in your Bible, it's kind of annexed from everything else. It's kind of, uh, in mind, it's italicized and kind of removed uh, 15 through 20. We're going to break it down into two parts tonight <clears throat> because he's, I believe Paul switches gears a little bit um, halfway through. But in verses 15 through 17, Paul, in the whole thing, Paul is going to teach us about the supremacy of Christ. In verses 15 through 17, Paul is going, if you're taking notes, Paul is going to give us five attributes proving that Jesus is the supreme creator. He's going to give us five attributes proving that Jesus is the supreme creator. Let's read these. Verse 15. Christ is the invisible God, invisible, sorry, tongue, tongue twister here. <clears throat> Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Paul is teaching about Christ here. It is important that we note that he is teaching the Colossians, Christ did this. He is the supreme creator, and he does this by mentioning five things. Number one, he is the image of God. He is the image of God. I want to caution us here to not just think that we know these things. Don't let religion seep into your heart and then check out because you know this. This this is infinite wisdom and knowledge that we have to get into our hearts and into our minds. We are finite human beings that leak. Repetition is key. We have got to know these things. Number one, he is the image of God. Christ is the image of God. He's not like us. We were created in the image of God. He is the image of God. The the Greek word that Paul used here means likeness and manifestation of. Not similar in appearance, right? You can't, so you cannot say that that, uh, if you saw my dad, I am in likeness of him, but I am not, in, I am not in the exact image of him. I'm not, a man, I'm not an exact manifestation of him. I may look like him, but Jesus is the exact expressed image of the Father. With this point, Paul is, is saying that Jesus is as much God as the Father is God. You go to John 14, one of my favorite verses, John 14, verses 8 and 9. Philip says, when are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus looks at Philip 
and says, I've been with, this is towards the end of his ministry. This is the last night. Jesus is, is, he's going to die tomorrow. And he looks at Philip and goes, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know? I mean, here we are at graduation day. That's kindergarten. Where are you you at, Philip? I've been with you all this time and you still don't know. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. One of my favorite quotes by Bill Johnson is, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. If you don't believe me, I'll read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 to you. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I want to let you know tonight, if you want to know what God is like, you just look and see what Jesus is like. If you want to know what God is like, simply look at the life of Jesus. Not just the death and resurrection of Jesus, but also look at his words, his action, his ministry, his mission, his sermons, his conversations, his relationships, his miracles. Jesus spent three years revealing God to us. He spent three years showing us the character and nature of God. Jesus is the expressed image of God. Number two, we also see in verse 15, he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, it doesn't say that in new, the New Living Translation, but if you go to New King James or NIV, one of those, um, it says he is the firstborn of all creation. Our translations say he existed before everything and is supreme over all creation, the, the one I originally read in New Living. But many translations say he is the firstborn over all creation. And I, I want to make that point tonight because there are, there are cults or whatever you want to call them, uh, I would say uh, Jehovah Witnesses, for one, say they try to use this verse and say, see, he was born. He was first born, so he was created. And so they try to use this like, <laughs> well, he can't be God if he was created, or he can't be equal with God if he was a created being. But Paul is not talking about in order of being born. What Paul is talking about when he uses the word firstborn here is his status, is his rank. Because the firstborn had preeminence. The firstborn had, uh, they had the rights to everything. And he, so he's not talking about in the order of being born. He's actually talking about the rank of the firstborn. And the Hebrew culture, what ha- the firstborn was the one who get, the father turned everything over to. And so it's the status. He's the firstborn of all creation, man, meaning that he's in charge of all of creation, that creation is, is inheritance. It, now, if this was just saying that, that he was created, uh, that, that doesn't make sense because that's the very heresy that, that Paul is addressing. And, it, and it, you go, all you have to do is read the next verse and see that that's not true. So he is the firstborn of all creation, meaning he is in charge of all creation. Number three, we find in verse 16, number three, he is the creator. And I know we're talking about him being the supreme creator, but Paul dr- drives this point home here, that he is the creator. And if he is the creator, he is uncreated. He always has been and always will be. He is the creator himself. He is not part of creation. He is one with the Father. All things were created through him. All things were created by him and for him. You go to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and it mirrors a little bit of what we're talking about here tonight. It says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's not talking about a 1611 King James Bible. God did not have that in the beginning. The word is Jesus. That is what 
John was talking about in John 1, in John chapter 1. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it not. We also see in verse 16 that he is the creator of all things seen and unseen. So he's the creator of the physical and the spiritual. He's the creator of all of creation, the earth, the moon, the sun, the solar systems, the galaxies. I mean, you just think about how expansive creation is, how expansive the heavens are. It's crazy. I want to encourage you to do a study sometime of like how far away the next star is. It's, you would never get there. It would take like 200,000 years for you to travel to the star that's closest to us besides the sun. Like it's wild how far. And some of these stars that you can see are like a thousand times bigger than our own sun. And I mean, just countless planets and galaxies that we will never see, that we will never get to. Not in our lifetime anyway. Maybe one day. I don't know. But you see that, but then you go all the way down to like, like germs and cells and amoebas and molecules and bugs and animals and trees and oceans. Like it's crazy. I read a stat last night that said that, that in a, uh, I want to say it's like in a, in a square, maybe a square mile. In a square mile, there are more there's like way more bugs in a square mile than all the people on earth combined. That's crazy. That's not, like nuts. And all, listen, and all, all of that is going on right now. I mean, you just think about the earth right now and, and everything that's going on outside of it. He's the creator of all that. He's also the creator of the unseen. He's also the creator of the angels. Yes, he's also even the creator of Satan and his angels. It's important to note these things because some of the heresy was... Uh, that infiltrates the church was the worship of and prayer to angels, which Paul addresses later on. And this is why Paul is making a case that he is the creator because the creator is greater than all of his creation. So listen, I, it, it's a good thing to know that Jesus created Satan and his angels because they all will have to bow down to him because he created them, therefore he has power over them. Thank the Lord. <laughs> In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that means that Satan and his angels will bow down and declare that he is Lord one day. And then off with them. I love that it says that, that not only was everything created uh, uh, through him, but it was also created for him, for him, as in, as in for his service. And I, I do want to point out to do, and, and uh, maybe a few people need to hear this tonight, but that, this right here is that everything was created by him and for him is everything that you need to know about yourself. You were created by him and for him. Where did I come from? Jesus. What am I here for? Jesus. You were created by him and for him. <laughs> we were created by Jesus and for Jesus. That's who you are and why you were here. Why you are here and that's where you're going to find your value and your fulfillment. Your vocation, your talents, your giftings are not your purpose. Your vocation your talents, your giftings are not your purpose. Thank you. One good. <laughs> they may help facilitate it, but your purpose is for him. 
Those things may help facilitate your purpose, but your purpose is for him, to know him, to love him, to give him glory. It's by him that you're here, and it's for him that you're living. Amen. Thank you. It's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. (laughs) Got to encourage myself up here. (laughs) You go to verse 17, and we see that he is eternal. He is eternal. What does that mean? It means he's existed. He existed before all things. He was before them. He is the beginning. Many false teachers would claim that there was a time that Christ did not exist, and Paul lays that to rest. Jesus is unoriginated. He is eternal. He is outside of time. He has no beginning and no end. He is alpha and omega. He is the beginning, and he is the end. He is the first and the last, the one who was, who is, and is to come. That is Jesus. Jesus declared to the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. It's good. The second part of verse 17 this is super encouraging to me, is that he is the sustainer. He not only created creation, he sustains creation. What does that mean? That means he holds it all together. This is incredible. <laughs> and this verse shuts down a belief note that st- people still believe today is deism, where God wound up the clock and now he's just letting it run out and he doesn't intervene and he's not involved. I want you to know he's involved tonight. The reason that you can sit there tonight and see me and I can see you is because Christ is holding you together. The reason that, the, that right now in this room is just not absolute chaos and atoms and you know, body parts and everything are just not flying all over the place is because Christ is holding it together. Do you know that if the earth, if the earth was, the axis was just tilted a little bit, we would all freeze to death and all burn, or half the earth would freeze, half the earth would burn up. There, there's like 60 fine tunings of the universe. If you move gravity like one uh, to the tenth, uh, tenth to the 60th power, if you move it just a little bit, we will either all implode or explode. Christ is holding us together. Jesus is holding us together. There's an apologist named Dr. Frank Turek, and he has a, a famous book out. It's called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I don't. Don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It doesn't make sense. There's too many things that, are in the, that show design. And Jesus is the designer, and he is the one that has hauled us all together. So we reject this view of deism. He is still sovereignly involved in his creation. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Christ is the generator and the sustainer. He holds your life together. He holds, he holds your home together. He holds your family together. He holds your health together. Man, I got to move. <laughs> Verses 18 through 20, Paul is going to switch gears now. He's going to show us four attributes that Jesus is our supreme mediator. The first five attributes was he was our supreme creator. Now he's going to show that Christ is our supreme mediator. Verse 18 says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. So number one, how is he our supreme mediator? Number one, he is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. God placed him in charge of us, of the church. He's the boss. He's in charge. (laughs) Not only like the head of a government or a king is in charge of their kingdom, but he's the head of of the actual body. Bodies without heads don't live. 
right? And sometimes the church looks like a chicken running around with its head cut off. The first time I saw that as a kid, I thought that was the most wild thing. You cut off the head of a snake and it's the, the nerves and they're still, and that's what the church looks like without the head. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't share headship. He doesn't. Anything with two heads is a monster. He doesn't share headship. It's one head. He is in charge. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23 says, God put all things under the authority of Jesus and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. You go to the story of Matthew 16, one of my favorites, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they respond. Some say, you know, you're Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said, I don't care about that. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus said, you are Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. What rock? The rock, the revelation that Peter shared that he is Christ, the son of the living God. So what is the church built on? Christ, the son of the living God. He is, he is in charge. Number two, he is the firstborn among the dead. That's a weird thing to say. He's the firstborn among the dead. What does that mean? He's the first one to resurrect. He's the first one not only to come out of the grave, but also to come out of the kingdom of darkness. You've got to know that Jesus on the cross absorbed all the sin and all the darkness ever from past, present, future. He who knew no sin became sin. And he went into the grave and he waged war on darkness for three days. And he came out so that we could also share in his resurrection. His resurrection now, we share in that resurrection life, that resurrection power. Your spirits have been resurrected. They have been made alive. And then one day you will also get a new body. It's very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When Christ returns, the saints will rise. It's not like debatable. That's Paul said it clearly in verse 15. You're going to get a new body, right? So thank God. No more love handles. Amen? Okay. Rock and roll. I don't know if that's true, but I'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> he is the promise of our... Now, I want to note, Jesus was not the first person to rise from the dead. You had other people rise from the dead. But interestingly, everybody else that rose from the dead died. Lazarus rose from the dead, but then he died. Jesus rose from the dead and is still living. He never died again. One day, and this is a promise for us, one day we will rise again and forever live. Thank you, Jesus. That's good. That's, that's great news. I'm excited about that. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 18 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys to death and the grave. Thank you, Jesus. It's interesting, he's known it. He, he, in verse 15, he's, called the, he, he's the firstborn. Um, uh, i got to go back and look. I went brain dead. Firstborn of all creation. This one, he's the firstborn of the dead. You could say it another way. He's the firstborn of creation and he's the firstborn of new creation. 
He's the firstborn of all creation, and he's the firstborn of new creation. He is, and he is the father's authority of both. Again, these are not about order, they're about rank. He's in charge of it all. He has first place in all things. Number three, we find in verse 19, he was filled with the fullness of God. He was filled with the fullness of God. God, in all his fullness, was pleased to dwell in Christ. Now, you read scripture, and it's very clear that nothing can contain God. Why is, why is Christ the visible image of the invisible God? Why, why was one of the commands, don't make, make any image of me? Because you can't. You cannot make an infinite God into a finite thing. All of the heavens, all of creation cannot contain him, cannot contain his glory. But it says that Christ, that it pleased God, all, the, all the temples, all the tabernacles, all the people in the world could not contain him except one man, Jesus. God was pleased to fill him with his fullness. Why was he pleased to fill him with his fullness? Because he was his son and he was equal to him. He was the totality of his divine power and his attributes. He was man, but he was also God. And God was pleased to do this. This is also Paul confirming Christ as God. It's interesting in John 14, in John uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 16, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. So it's actually really neat. Out of the fullness of Christ, we are also filled. Out of the fullness of Christ, we are also filled. That is a way that he is a mediator for us. Something is full when it's overflowing. Christ overflows into us. He is our source. Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10 says that we are complete through our union with him. He is everything that we need. All that you need is found in Jesus. He is supreme. I'm not two minutes over. Hang with me. There's one more. Verse 4, I mean, uh, verse 20, number 4, he reconciles all creation. He reconciles all creation. Through him, God has reconciled all of creation. This is, again, Paul reiterating the good news. This is good news, that our relationship has been restored, that through the cross, that through the blood, that Christ is, uh, that God is pleased to reconcile all of heaven and earth with him. Now, I want to say, make one note here. It's not that all have been reconciled. It's that all can be reconciled. It's not an endorsement for universalism. That everybody gets in. I wish that were the case, but it's not true. It's that all can get in. Through the cross, we now have peace with God. And we cannot achieve this on our own. Jesus made a way. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And I love, if you go through that little 15 through 20 there, all of the alls used. How many times was the word all used? He's the firstborn of all creation. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. He holds all things. He's the firstborn of all the dead. All the fullness of God was in him. Now he is able to reconcile all things. All things. That, that may seem like a, a small detail, but, I, but it, 
what that shows us is that the blood is enough. The blood is enough to, recon- to, to reconcile all things. And now Jesus has sent us out in the Great Commission to, to, to reconcile all nations. All nations. Jesus doesn't exaggerate. He means this. He desires all people and he will get what is his, what belongs to him. His blood is enough. It makes a way for every sinner. Not just a few. The blood of his cross is enough. It's not his blood plus something. It's not people get cleaned up so they can come into his presence. No, the blood is the way into his presence. Paul puts this version of the gospel towards the beginning of Colossians because the Colossians had been given too much credit to darkness and spiritual forces of this world and Paul comes to set the record straight with them. That Christ is supreme. That he has the victory. That he's already won. And in our own lives, we can't give the enemy more credit than he's due. Stop focusing so much on darkness and focus on Jesus. Focus on the light. We give things way too much power and authority. But Paul is here in Colossians telling us tonight that Christ has supreme power. And Christ has supreme authority. Jesus has defeated everything that we face. No, darkness can keep you enslaved. It cannot rule over you. Christ rules over everything, and he calls you his own. And he's pulled you out of a dark kingdom and into the kingdom of light. And darkness cannot extinguish it. Y'all stand with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you that Jesus is supreme. We thank you that he is our mediator, that he is our creator. We thank you, Jesus, that you created us for yourself, for your glory. God, may we all find fulfillment in you. Draw our hearts closer to you. May these words that we talked about tonight reverberate in our hearts, God. May this be something that is on the forefront of our minds, Lord, everywhere that we go. And God, every time the enemy tries to come in and and twist the truth in our minds and make us, make us think that there's no hope for us, that we are held captive by something. Lord, may we remember the great freedom that Christ paid for. And every time the, the, the devil tries to remind us of something holding us captive, may we remember the, the receipt of the bill that has been paid, the ransom that has been paid. Lord, that you so loved us that you sent your son Jesus for us to rescue us, to reconcile us, to bring us into relation with you. That's it. That's the most important thing. Bring us into deeper union with you, Lord. We want more of you. God, we lay down our idols. We lay down those things that distract us. Those things that so easily entangle us. Jesus, we're thankful. We're thankful, Lord, that you saw sinners like us, that you saw how messed up and dirty and nasty we were. And you came and you adopted us into your family. Lord, help us to shine bright for you as we leave this place. We leave this place, God, that 
every person in here that they would not be beat up by their past. They would not be beat up by the things that they once did because that was the old man that has passed away. And behold, the new has come, that we are new creations, that you say that we are a holy priesthood, that we have the righteousness of Christ, that you see us like you see Jesus. And Lord, anytime the enemy tries to remind us of our past, Lord, may we (laughs) just completely ignore it and look to you and remember how you see us and that you empower us to walk like you walked. Lord, fill our hearts with love for one another. Fill our hearts with love for our families, our hearts with love for our coworkers, the people that we're around every day. May the name of Jesus ever be on our lips because at the name of Jesus, everything has to bow. Everything has to bow. We love you, God. We thank you. Lord, I ask that you would just protect us as we leave this place, as we go home. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.